welcome to Value-Based Care Insights, brought to you by Illumina Health Partners, a national healthcare consulting firm focused on improving the strategic, financial, and operational performance of provider organizations. On this program, we will explore trends and share valuable insights on how health systems and medical groups can optimize their performance to meet the demands of this increasingly complex healthcare environment and shift to transform the delivery of care. Value-Based Care Insights is hosted by Daniel Marino, managing partner of Lumina Health Partners. Daniel has been in the industry for over three decades and specializes in shaping strategic initiatives for organizations in areas such as population health, clinical integration, physician alignment, information technology, and data analytics. For additional insights, visit luminahp.com and sign up for our newsletter. Dan, over to you. Welcome to Value-Based Care Insights. I'm your host, Daniel Marino. In today's episode, we're going to spend some time talking about some of the challenges that we see as we enter into 2024. I had an opportunity to um, to write an article uh, kind of highlighting some of what I see as, as these key trends as moving in 2024. I've, I've done this for the last probably seven, eight years. And I, I often do it by reflecting on what we've seen in, in 2023 or the years prior, and then how health systems, how healthcare leaders are either reacting to it or what they may face as we enter into this new year. But as I was writing this year's article and, and reflecting on, on some of the work and the conversations that I've had with healthcare leaders, one of the things that really that dawned on me that was an important element was really around effective governance. In 2023, we had an opportunity to do quite a few strategic planning sessions or engagements and had done a number of board retreats. And kind of a, a critical element as I reflect back on successes of organizations as they've navigated through the challenges of 2023 is how well health system leaders had worked with their boards and effective governance being really a, a critical component in allowing these organizations to realize some of the opportunities, but also manage through some of the challenges. My article focuses on eight key trends that we see facing healthcare providers, but it also identifies some insights that healthcare leaders as well as healthcare boards should consider as they work together to plan some of these initiatives. Well, I'm I'm really excited today to have as my guest um, a prominent CEO, Ivan Mitchell. He is Chief Executive Officer of Great Plains Health in North Platte, Nebraska. And I'm also joined today by Ann Bluen, a prominent board member, former healthcare executive, nursing leader, and longtime mentor of me. Very excited to have both you, Ann, and Ivan with us today on the program. Welcome. So, Ivan, maybe we can start with you. As you reflect back on 2023, talk a little bit about what you see are, are some of the things that have been really important to you and to your team and and how you've worked with your board to kind of navigate through some of the challenges within your market. You know, you're in the rural health space. There's been obviously some challenges that you've had, but some opportunities that you've been able to achieve. Talk a little bit about that working relationship with your board. Well, we're very lucky here as an independent uh, nonprofit organization that's um, locally owned and operated. We just had, we've had great board engagements. As you've said, we've had some real real challenging times in healthcare recently. And so I think that from the management's perspective, we've, we've tried to, to do our best to help our board understand kind of what's going on, you know, sharing that in, in 2022, 
over 50% hospitals lost money and just kind of some of the challenges that we have with the, the workforce, um, the Medicare Advantage, with some of the payer mix changes and transitions. And so um, <clears throat> I think it's important for leadership teams to, to keep their board um, up to date on what's going on in the industry. There were monthly flash reports that shared how hospital financials were doing and just making sure that that's out in front of your board so that they can, as you make a recommendation uh, toward them, that they have a, a good understanding of what's what's out there and what the situations are that we're dealing with right now in the care sector. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. Keeping the board engaged and using them as a, as a resource is key. And you've been on both sides of the fence. You're, you've been a, a healthcare leader for a number of years, and now you're on you know at least five provider boards um, what do you see as, as kind of the success or maybe the role of the board member in supporting the healthcare leaders as we're navigating through these challenges? I think that's a great question, uh, Dan. And I think Ivan sort of laid out the importance of, of board engagement. One of the biggest challenges I'm seeing in boards is being able to balance the focus on the short-term challenges, which are many, um, as you've pointed out in your article, and the longer-term strategic planning where does the organization want to go? Um, it, it's tough to do strategic planning. COVID sort of put us all, um, kind of gave us all a little slap across the, the face and said, holy cow, um, you know, things are very different now. But the board's role from a governance perspective is to um, help support management, not do management, but support management in their activities in the short-term challenges, understand them well, pose appropriate questions, but never take uh, the board's eye off the long-term strategic planning. Right. So they're really incorporating them as a, there's almost a unified front, right? In the strategic planning process. Right. Um, so I want to, I, I want to focus our discussion today on what I see are, are, are three really key trends that we're going to have to work through in, in 2024. I think the first one is really around Medicare Advantage. Um, we saw in, in 2023 the biggest increase in Medicare Advantage covered lives, the biggest growth across the country. I think, you know, heading into 2024, um, about close to, you know, 55, maybe close to 60% of Medicare eligible patients or eligible beneficiaries are involved in some Medicare Advantage plan. Um, the, the second topic that I'd like to talk a little bit about is going to be around medical group financial performance and the impact on hospitals and health systems. And third is the transition and, and the growing um, focus on in-home in care, if you will. But before we get to that, let's touch on Medicare Advantage. Uh, Ivan, you know, within the rural community, no secret, there's been a lot of challenges with Medicare Advantage. A lot of articles, uh, a lot of research has been done that kind of speaks to, you know, some of the quality opportunities that have come out of Medicare Advantage contracts, but a lot of the a lot of the challenges that that's occurring, and for the most part, those challenges have really been been as a result of um, misalignment with the plans and creating a, a bit of a financial challenge for many of the hospitals. Where do you see Medicare Advantage going in particularly rural healthcare as we move into 2024? Great question. Uh, I think you've seen a lot of the renowned healthcare systems start to make a change. And you've seen Mayo Clinic withdraw from Medicare Advantage contracts. You've seen Scripps Healthcare say no to all Medicare Advantage. And I think that's going to be a trend that you're going to see. 
rural healthcare was kind of slow to adopt Medicare Advantage, and it was good for them. They they should have been. You know, here we did end up adding two contracts, and, and we we were in network with two Medicare Advantage plans, and we will be looking at, at options to exit the market um, by the end of this year if we possibly can. So that's yeah, that's that's, and I think we're getting out of it. Yeah, and there's a lot that are um, no no doubt about that. Has the challenge been from your perspective? Has it been the reimbursement, I mean, most of it is at Medicare rates anyways, or has it been the administrative challenges? Has it been the lack of pre-certifications? Do you feel like it's been more of an administrative burden on your, your physicians and your providers? Where can you maybe draw the biggest challenge from some of these Medicare Advantage contracts? Yeah, I think you're accurate in the administrative burden. Um, yeah. We have the uh, Medicare Advantage contracts. We'll say we, we'll pay you Medicare rates. Um, the data at our facility is the length of stay for a Medicare Advantage patient is two days longer than a traditional Medicare patient. So if you go from an average length of stay from four days to six days, uh, Medicare pays what's called a DRG, a diagnosis-related group. I just increased my cost by 50%, um, and I decreased my capacity and access. Um, along with that, you know, you, you you lose money on Medicare patients anyway. Sure. You 80 to 85% of the costs. And so what you've done is you've taken a kind of a safety net program and you've added all of the bad behaviors of the insurance company into a program that doesn't meet your costs. And so um, it, it, is, it has been a drain on us. And, and, um, and as you said, the incentives aren't aligned and we've seen very poor behavior from the insurance industry and I don't, I don't see that changing. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I think we're going to continue to see more and more um, health systems back out of, of Medicare Advantage contracts. And it's it's going to be interesting to watch too, because CMS sees Medicare Advantage as a big initiative. They want to get out of the 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 position or out of the 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 place of managing a lot of the Medicare beneficiaries. And from a board perspective though, I think it it I don't know what are you, what are your thoughts? It seems to me it kind of puts the board at a difficult position because they have relationships with the community. You want to take care of these Medicare patients, but yet you've got this fiduciary responsibility to the hospital. Yeah, <clears throat> I think there are three areas from a governance or a board perspective that the board needs to be thoughtful around. One is from a patient serving the community, um, there are a large number of people that when they sign up for Medicare Advantage, they either just pay attention to the TV ads or they look at the price and they look at everything being included. You know, It sounds so good from a cost perspective and out-of-pocket cost. And so um, people don't realize when they sign up for Medicare Advantage um, exactly what they're getting and what they would not be getting compared to traditional Medicare fee-for-service. And it, it's a complex um, thing that, that frankly is not very well understood and explained to the, to the average um, person in the community. So that's one area is the disappointment and um, confusion that, sure. that people have. The second area is from a legislative standpoint, state and local government officials, um, I think can be called upon to Ivan's point to try to leverage to understand uh, fairness and equity in payment structures. Because the problem is that if you're losing money on every single Medicare Advantage, um, you can see why Mayo and yeah. and others want to you know, get out of it. So leveraging relationships with uh, local legislators, I think is, is one strategy the board can adapt. And then thirdly, I think that a careful understanding of what will happen with people who are in Medicare Advantage plans from the board's perspective, 
what happens to those community members? Do they, are they able to get back uh, into uh, a Medicare plan? How do they do that? Uh, it's, not, it's not something that's easy to do. So there's some mechanical pieces that I think um, obviously the, the health system gets stuck with, frankly. The, the denials of claims are, are very significant and to Ivan's point, consumes a lot of administrative time. Oh, a lot of administrative time. And like, you know, as you both mentioned, you don't make a high margin on Medicare patients anyways. In some cases, it's even a loss. And when you have the administrative burdens, it even makes it a little bit more challenging. If you're just tuning in, I am Daniel Marino. You're listening to Value-Based Care Insights. I am here today talking with Ivan Mitchell, CEO of Great Plains Health and Ann Bluen, um, board member of, of, of many um health of many boards, uh, provider boards, we are talking about the importance of effective governance and navigating some of the headwinds or the, the challenges that we see in, in 2024. Um, kind of building on Medicare Advantage and, and the challenges with um, or the implications to the, the financial performance of, of hospitals and health systems. Another trend that we're going to see in 2024 is the continued, obviously, employment of physicians by hospitals, maybe even by private equity and the competition with private equity, but hospitals, they're going to continue to look at the financial performance of their employed medical group. Um, many hospitals in 2022, 2023 focused on tightening their belt, right? Reducing some of their cost structure, trying to right-size the ship, so to speak, there certainly was a, a focus in 2023 about improving that financial performance. And we feel it's it's going to continue as we move into this new year. Ivan, when when you think about where where your group is and maybe other rural healthcare providers as you're employing physicians that are part of your community community, where do you think the biggest opportunity is? Is it in maybe the compensation structure? Is it in renegotiating some of your professional payer contracts? Um, is it maybe creating access and efficiencies for your physicians? And any Anything that you can draw on? Yeah, uh, this is uh, a challenging topic. I think that uh, we, we talked about how Medicare Advantage had misaligned incentives. And so I think the key with your physicians is you need to make sure that your incentives are aligned. Um, I think in, in ensuring that uh, that the physician has kind of a, a seat at the table, that uh, you know if the hospital does well, they do well, and have some uh, performance-based incentives hooked into that. And I've noticed every time we've done that here with our physicians, you know, we'll, we'll typically bring them on a guarantee for so many years, and after that practice is built up, it'll move to a production quality incentive. Um, every time we move someone into a position to where our incentives are aligned, that that behavior follows, and so I think that's uh, that's always the the best opportunity. Yeah. I think of the medical group side. Um, you know, we have a real labor issue, and um, you know, we I I don't know the country that um, you, you you look at how many people try to get into medical school but can't get into medical school, and uh, the amount uh, of undersupply that we have of physicians. I shared that I worked at Intermountain Healthcare. Um, Rob Allen was the regional VP at the time. He's currently the CEO of the company. And I was listening to a um, to a podcast he was on, and he said that they're they're in Idaho, Utah, Nevada, and Colorado, Montana. He said if Intermountain Healthcare hires every single medical graduate from those four states uh, or five states, um, 
it will not um, replace the supply of those physicians that will be retiring in the next year. Right. Yeah. And, you know, in Intermountain Healthcare, they're in Colorado. You have UC Health, you have Banner, you have all these other organizations that are there. Um, so I think the financial performance of simple, simple economics, supply and demand, um, we're going to see some additional um, foreign trained doctors that we need to recruit. Hopefully that uh, that will increase. But uh, but it is very frustrating. You have your your best paying jobs in your country. We we aren't failing. And uh, yeah, it's kind of a kind of an odd scenario that we have in place. And I think the financial performance of medical groups is going to continue to, to deteriorate. Yeah, great point. And I, I, I've spoke many times about the lack of supply. Uh, obviously, it's contributed to access challenges that we've had, you know, I'm, I'm sure in your organization as well. Um, but I'd love your point on aligning incentives. And I'm a firm believer of that, right? Have physicians at the table, partner with the physicians, create a structure that aligns the incentives. And when you, when you think about it from a, from a board perspective, Talk a little bit about that alignment. How can the board support that? Is it is it around maybe supporting, creating that stronger alignment with the medical staff? Um, is it making sure that that physician leaders are integrated in, in some form or fashion within the board structure? Any thoughts come to mind? Yeah, <clears throat> three areas. One is I totally agree with Ivan and you, Dan, on the alignment. And I think transparency in that alignment so that they understand exactly how they're being paid, what they're being compensated for, what the productivity standards are. I think that's critical so that there isn't a feeling of secret secrecy. There is a feeling of trust. Secondly is I do believe physicians should be on boards. I think that having a physician, one or two physician representatives on a board, depending upon the size of the board, who are well-respected in the community, I think that is a critical aspect of that alignment and trust and developing respect. And then the third area is the board can help by asking questions around how can we reduce the hassle for physicians, sure. the administrative hassle, the managed care um, uh, documentation hassle that physicians experience. Obviously, lots of health systems have begun to use more effectively advanced practice providers, physician assistants, and nurse practitioners to expand the physician's reach um, and effectiveness and have those um, advanced practice providers see lower acuity patients so the physician can concentrate his or her efforts on higher acuity um, activities. That makes a lot of sense, I think. Um, use of telehealth is a, is a question the board should be raising, mm -hmm. especially in areas, as Ivan points out, like psychiatry, where there are there is a critical nationwide shortage of psychiatrists and has been for a long time. So I think um, not only looking at the supply side, but looking at the demand side, what can we do as people are aging, as the baby boomers are getting older and older and needing more physician services, what can we do to assist with that demand in addition to continuing the recruitment and retention activities on the supply side? Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think, you know, as, as, as we pointed out, the supply of physicians, of, of providers in general, um, I think we're a long way from increasing that supply in order to meet the demand. So the only way that we're really gonna be able to do that is, is we have to incorporate innovation, we have to incorporate technologies. Frankly, we have to change the care model, right? That is allowing us um, to think a little bit more innovative on how we can deliver the right level of care to patients, which, Kind of brings us to my third topic then. In, in 2023, um, 
of course, artificial intelligence, the the increase in technology, it has it's created, you know, different types of care models, expanded the care models, incorporated technology in the care models. We we saw reasonable growth of home-based care um, that would allow us to kind of manage through some of these challenges. I, I believe as we look into 2024, and certainly related to the aging baby boomers and some of the, the requirements that they want in their own care and the delivery of that, I, I think we're going to see things like, you know, sniffs at, at the home, hospital at the home, different types of models that will incorporate um, different care delivery systems, if you will, different technologies and so forth. Ivan, as, as, as a hospital health system leader, where are you in, in, in that level of thinking? Is that part of your strategic planning process? Is it, is it something that you're kind of, you know, taking a wait and see based on the needs of your community? What are your thoughts there? Yeah, I think you're going to see um, a move in healthcare to, to home-based care. And I think you've already seen that just from the inpatient to outpatient transition. Yeah. You know, surgeries where people used to stay a week, then go home the same day and really taken care of by their families. So I think you've already seen kind of a transition going that direction. Um, we at, at Great Plains Health, we had um, until this year, we had uh, home health and hospice as well as home medical equipment uh, under our umbrella. We still have home medical equipment. We ended up partnering um, with a company, uh, another uh, nonprofit um, called Better Health. They run uh, nursing homes. And we actually transferred our home health and hospice services over to them. Uh, over the last 10 years, we we had lost about $300,000 a year in home health and hospice. Um, you know, it's a small team right. of 16 people. Uh, you have one biller. When that biller turns over, it's it's a totally different billing model. And, and, and then we would really well, struggle. It's very unique, right? So home health, hospice care, I mean, that's it's very specialized, if you will. So, yeah, that makes sense. But I, but I also feel like it has to be integrated, right? It has to be almost a transparent component of your care model. So you're not necessarily seeing the challenges with readmissions and um, you know, overutilization of the emergency room. There's a smooth trans transition from acute to the post-acute and, and to the home environment. Yeah, I agree. Um, you know, we we were pretty selective with our partner. Um, I've seen places sell to venture capital, the United Healthcare, some of these other areas, and it kind of seems like their model was. Um, taking a loss on home health to get them on Medicare Advantage plans or or things yeah. like that. So I do think you're going to see it. Um, we have seen a lot of health systems do the hospital at home model, um, you know, and, and I think you're going to probably see some success there. Most of the hospital at home um, programs have, have not been extremely successful. They've, they've been very low census and, uh, you know, ha haven't really done well at, at this point. Um, but for us, it's on our strategic plan. I think that uh, for an organization our size, um, our goal is to, once we see best practices that are out there, to partner and implement those as quick as we can. Um, so that that's kind of where we've gone. We think we found a, a good partner for Home Health and Hospice Services. Yeah, that's great. Operate it well, and, and we'll keep our eyes open for the, um, for, for the next uh, transition or best practices that are out there. So, Anne, as you know, as, as a nurse and as a, a former nursing leader, you know, any any quick thoughts on um, home-based care? You see, this is a good thing. Yeah. Um, yes, I do. And uh, I just was at. I'm on the IHI board, Institute for Healthcare Improvement board, and um, went to an innovative 
session on hospital at home uh, that was conducted by Kaiser Permanente and, and Mayo. And it was fascinating. I, I don't think there's going to be a large, super large volume of patients that will qualify for hospital at home. Uh, they are selective clinically. Uh, certain types of patients are better served, but they may be served in a sniff sure. versus at home. And uh, during COVID, one of the boards I sit on, which is a, a skilled nursing facility company um, and assisted living, actually took highly acute hospital patients to decant the emergency departments and the and the critical care units, and became much more acutely focused um, in the skilled nursing area. Uh, obviously, oh, had to upskill up and train. So I think there is something here. CMS is pushing us toward this as an industry because they want to reduce costs. They have a um, you know, they have an interesting uh, perspective there, and their measurements are beginning to look at uh, continuum-based measures as opposed, you know, population-based as opposed to all acute care core measures. The last yeah. thing I'll say about that is that um, the board needs to understand it may need an investment because hospital at home it doesn't come without um, expenses associated with those support services, whether that's supply chain human resources, um, when you're in the hospital, you can reach around and grab another physician or nurse and get some things done. Uh, very different if you're in a, a home environment. Sure, absolutely. Well, Ivan, and th this has been a great discussion, you know, never long enough. I'd, I'd, we certainly can talk for quite some time around a number of these issues. And, but I, I think one of the key things is, as you both brought out, um, the importance of having the healthcare leaders working with their boards and the boards supporting the healthcare organizations is just is just critical. Um, it's going to be an interesting 2024. I'm looking forward to see how things move forward and, and where our industry goes. Um, I want to wish you both a very happy and, and prosperous 2024. Thanks again for, for coming on the program. Thank you. For our listeners, I want to wish you all a healthy and prosperous 2024. And until our next insight, I am Daniel Marino, bringing you 30 minutes of value to your day. Take care. Are you at a crossroad with value-based care? Do you need to chart a future strategy or improve your organizational performance? Visit us at LuminaHP.com to learn more about our consulting services and leadership development programs. Also, you can sign up for our newsletter on our website and follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn. For more information about value-based care insights, visit the program's page on healthcareradionow.com or luminahp.com. Join the conversation using our hashtag, VBC Insights. We are Lumina Health Partners. Thank you for joining us today. Until the next value-based care insight, stay well.